Welcome back to Bible Love. We are working our way through Deuteronomy. And uh, with that, with some of what we're talking about today and some of what's going on in the world today in Afghanistan and around, I uh, wanted to read a prayer from a new book I got, Liturgies from Below. Uh, it's praying with people at the ends of the world. These are prayers and liturgies written by folks from um, different communities around the world. Let us pray. Faced with pain that rips us apart, we cry out in one voice, intercede with us, O solidarity, Lord. Faced with death that wounds and marks with pain, give us the strength of an embrace and the peace that your love gives us. Faced with injustice that kills and cries out for conversion, move us to transform the world and let all death become a song. In the face of desolation and crying, faced with impotence and frustration, Come to our side. Sustain us with your life, O Lord. You are the God of the poor, the one who sows hope. You are the God of solidarity, the one who gives love. You are God with us, the eternal, the great I am, God of the embrace, God of song, God who loves, God who strengthens, God who surrenders, God who acts. Amen. 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 We are joined with a special guest. Mary Balfour was just asking, is this going to be someone else who played football? <laughs> Not only did the Reverend Ian Lash play football, he helped design our entire offensive scheme so that we could beat Union, which we did in great fashion. We won't talk about those guys from Trinity that we could not beat because Ian and I didn't plan for that. But we're joined by the Reverend Ian Lash, a dear, dear friend from seminary. Ian is the rector of St. Francis of the Islands Episcopal Church in Savannah, Georgia. And so Ian and I, when we left seminary, we moved to different parts of the world. And then he, not too long ago, moved to Savannah, which is really close to Upper South Carolina. But that was really close. And so Elizabeth and I made the decision that we had to move further away. Because Ian and I are what you might call frenemies. <laughs> This is going to be Thank, fun today. This is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we have a shared um, love-hate relationship with Jimmy Hartley. And so uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, Jimmy, who has been a guest on this episode before, it's actually our least viewed and listened to episode. Wow. No, I actually don't know if that's true. <laughs> but I, I just said Jimmy, it. Jimmy, no matter what Alan says. <laughs> so Ian, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. And so, because Alan had to move far away from you, I'm still close. So uh -huh. I'll come down to Savannah sometime and check it out and see what's happening at St. Francis and the Diocese of Georgia. We're really glad you're here, Ian. I'm excited to be here. So yeah. what are we talking about today, guys? We are uh, continuing through Deuteronomy. So we're getting to the part, you know, we've had some setup, we've had some narrative, we've had Moses talking. And kind of, we're going to try to get through 14 chapters today, but mm. these 14 chapters are like one big section that all it focuses on, on is the code, right? The Deuteronomic, I think I'm saying that correctly, code. Um, and so we had to bring in uh, a biblical expert to help us parse <laughs> through this. No, but it is, 
right? Like, so we've gone through this in Leviticus, right? With the code, we've seen the 10 commandments before. Um, they've just come up again. And, and so this is an opportunity for us to look at people are being reminded, right? They're setting up um, life in a new place. And so they have the code from before. And now maybe it's the code that's going to help them set up life in their new world. Yeah. And you had a good perspective before we even started recording just about the general. I'd love for you to repeat that. Sure. Um, so what I find really interesting about this is, um, so, I mean, Deuteronomy means second law, right? So it's the, it's the second giving of the law essentially. And we can, you can interpret that a couple of different ways. Um, you've already covered in Deuteronomy where the 10 commandments, the Decalogue are given again, right? Um, but this, the, this code is essentially, um, there's a compelling argument to be made that it's a, it's a fleshing out of those 10 commandments. What do, because those 10 commandments, of course, are very, very broad, very nonspecific. And the instant we encounter them, the question we have is, what does that look like in practice? How do we, how do we honor our parents? How do we keep the Sabbath? Um, what does it mean to have no other gods before God? And so this is in some ways, uh, a, a restatement or an elaboration or or a clarification of the Ten Commandments for a particular context in particular place. This is how it plays out now that the the nation of Israel is in the Promised Land or is is uh, is is going to be where God wants them to be. I think that's really important to say because I think that if you're reading through the Bible like we have been doing on Bible Love, you do often are like, okay, we've already talked about this one. We've already talked like, why do we keep talking about Sabbath? Why do we? And of course, a lot of that is because of the importance of it. But I think it's what to me what's really substantial about what you said. All of it was great, but now we're at the place we've been trying to get to. So now that we're here, we we need to talk about this again. You know, we need to make sure. And also when I told you the first time, it was, you know, a whole different set of people, right? A whole different generation. So that seemed really important. Yeah. And and I think one of the... um... One of the things that, you know, obviously we can take some really specific lessons from it. Um, but one of the, I think, general lessons that we should take from it is important when it comes to reading scripture, right? Which is that there's always an element of interpretation involved. And we have that modeled for us in scripture itself. You don't just get the Decalogue. You get the Decalogue and then you get the Deuteronomic Code interpreting it, right? And saying, this is what it looks like in context. So we have that as a model that we're not meant to just take it, you know, it's not like a drag and drop, like everything, every word that gets stated applies exactly the same in every single place and and every single situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, we talked about that some in the past. The context piece is important. You know, you look back at some of the Levitical code and even some in here about like food handling, mm-hmm. right? Some of that is pre-refrigeration. And so it was, some of it was ritualistic. Some of it was just to keep people from getting sick. Right. Right. And so does that drag and drop to 2021 where we've got a deep freeze, you know, maybe not, but what are the lessons we can learn that what's the bigger picture of how we handle things? What's the bigger picture about how we approach food? What, and I think that's an important thing to, to recognize because too often and 
folks will cherry pick things from either Leviticus or this part of Deuteronomy and say, look, we can't do that. Well, let's think about that. Right. And also, though, like um, 12, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to just pass through 12, but when you get into 13, I mean, it's really specific. There's very specific examples. To it. Like um, if anyone secretly entices you, even if it's your brother, or your father's son or your mo- young mother's or your mother's son or your own son or daughter or wife you embrace or you met or your most intimate friend. I mean, it's, it's like giving every single possibility that could be there, you know, of enticement. Um, that's sort of interesting to me. Why did we, did God feel the need to talk about each one of these certain types of folks that might come about, or maybe God didn't feel the need. He just wanted to warn, you know, I'm not sure. What do y'all think about that? Uh, so one thought I have, again, it's, it's, it's contextualizing, right? So one of the, the, the primary concern at this section is the commandment to have no other gods before God, right? And so how does that play out in, in ancient Near Eastern antiquity? Well, primarily it plays out through family members or marriage to people who, who worship other gods, right? Um, so in a way, this is, this is, hedging against people going astray from God in the most common path that they're likely to at the time, right? And that's not necessarily the case for us today, although it can be, right? Like there are plenty of people who marry and then convert to a different religion and that sort of thing. Um, but but the idea of, I mean, at the time, the most common, I think that was the most common way for people to, to start worshiping a different God was through marriage or, or through a family member saying, you need to worship this, this God. Yeah. And I think, you know, 12 and even 13 get into that, right? Like 12 says, go in there and make sure you destroy any remnants of the cult essentially and don't have that and 13 gets into that and it talks about marriage between all stay away from these people it goes on to later because um, last week ian a, a big emphasis was on our tendency to fall into idolatry whatever mm-hmm. it is like anything that may tempt us to worship something else at least i as a human i'm prone to fall into that and so I think here in 12 and 13 is setting that up, like get rid of those reminders, right? Get rid of anything that might make you stumble. Get rid of anything that might make you put someone else before God. And I think that's essential. And, you know, the specificity that that you talked about, Mary Balfour, it makes me think about like in U.S. laws, sometimes you get laws that are really, really like incredibly specific. Yeah, in general, like our legal system is set up to be broad. And to have kind of interpretation. But then you have places like Louisiana, where they, you know, their legal code is like really specific because it's based on Napoleon and all these other things. And so that's the difference between, like you said, Ian, the Ten Commandments would give broad parameters and then the interpretation of those. And so it's not just honor your father and mother, but it's, you know, don't sleep with whoever or don't do this specifically. Yeah. And to to carry out that analogy, right? So you're right that that generally speaking, our tendency is to have broad legislation that then gets interpreted by the courts, right? 
And so this is, that's, if you want to use that as a model, that's essentially what's happening here is that this is that court step of interpreting what these, what the Decalogue looks like played out in this particular context. These are the, the sort of precedents we're going to set. And it doesn't mean they can't ever be overturned, but it means that we got to think twice and, and, and sort of apply the law whenever we're, whenever we're trying to go against that precedent. Yeah. And I think it's a good metaphor um, because you get like into 16, you know, skipping around a little bit, 16, it says you shall appoint judges and officials throughout the tribes. And so because we have this legal code, now we need to have legal experts is what it sounds like to me is we need to have people whose job it is to, to know what God has told us to do and not to do and help us make rulings on that. So that when someone comes and says, my brother stole some of my crops or whatever it is, they can know, oh, well, God said this. And so now we have to stone the guy or whatever the case may be. And so, again, this is a nation coming into the land that it was promised, trying to set itself up as a, as a nation state, right? This is kind of nation building in theological and legal terms. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, but one thing that is very scary to me, if you skip into chapter 17, um, specifically verse 8, um, it says, if a judicial decision is too difficult for you to make between one kind of bloodshed and another, one kind of legal right or another, or one kind of assault or another, any such matters of dispute in your towns, then you should immediately go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. So th- they're giving some free, some authority. Okay. So don't, don't come to me if this is a problem because I don't, I'm worried about that, but how interesting that they lifted this and and thank God that's not the case in 2021. I've got two other priests on the call with me right now. We don't want to be doing this, but that's interesting at the time. The priests were sort of the authority if you couldn't figure it out for yourself. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, in, in part because, you know, this is a time before um, before the the modern day concept of nation states, really. So we are, you know, all of the the different codes that people are following are are given some sort of religious authority or another, right? So the only lens through which we're looking at law is is divinely given, right? So of course that's sort of how we're going to default to interpretation. But now we, you know. <laughs> we don't. I mean, but but here, <laughs> but we've distinguished in some ways, right? Um, but we still, you know, we we still have bioethics, right? We still have you know medical ethical panels that want religious input into how how does how does our religion affect our decision making in the issues that are not black and white that are not absolutely straightforward and matters of, you know, national security or, or the public, obviously in the public good, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and of course people come to us for their, you know, our opinions, you know, but I would not, I, I don't think I'd ever point back to Deuteronomy 17 right. and be like, Hey, you really need to listen to me because right. I know it all. Right. Um, yeah. It's interesting. There's, there's a lot in that too. Um, that goes into sort of the privileges of the priests and the Levites, Levites. And then this strange, scary part of child sacrifice 
and magic prohibited. Did y'all read any of that? Like that's, this is the parts of the Bible where we get like a little bit nervous, a little bit like what's going on here. Yeah. And to me, the fact that it was written down means that it was a problem, right? Like they're not just coming up with things out of thin air. It's like the warnings on shampoo bottles. My son was actually done those things so that lawyers would tell you not to eat it. And so child sacrifice was a problem, right? And, you know, God is probably shaking his head being like, you people, right? I should not have to say this, but he does. God does. And this is kind of what you were getting at is what does our morality, what does our religion have to say about these things? And there are still some troubling things in here that, you know, God doesn't necessarily come down on the side that we would want God to come down on maybe in 21st century. But these are folks wrestling with questions of good and evil and questions of morality with a kind of a wholly different framework than what we have. And so it does sound weird. It does sound out there. It does sound evil in places. Yeah, for sure. And then we get into a lot of laws and property boundaries and rules of warfare and um, murder, right of the first child. Any, any thoughts on, on all these very specific things that are happening? One, you know, we talked last week uh, and we've talked before, like even in the midst of some of these things that can seem heavy handed, there's always a glimmer of hope that too often gets looked over. And so in, in here, and I forget where it was, but it talks about um, enslavement, right? And people being sold into slavery, which, you know, verses like that got propped up 150 years ago and used as a hammer by folks. But even in there, it says, you know, after six years, that's done, right? So there's even like slavery as we knew it in our country is nothing like biblical slavery, or at least Deuteronomy slavery. And so there was this idea that people had their freedom. There was maybe a time in which they would be enslaved, but on that seventh year, you were not only supposed to free them, you were supposed to give them something, right? And send them on their way as free people. So there's that hope. There's that even in something that could be seen as heavy handed and evil and could be misinterpreted. Um, there was also that sign that God's providing somehow. Yeah. yeah. Ian, what do you think? I, I, I agree with that. I think, um, I think when it comes to um, the, the thing that I think about, so it, the, the freeing of slaves and the forgiveness of debts um, at, at, in that seventh year makes me think actually of the Lord's prayer um, and how, in you know, I think it's good to use different translations of it sometimes because obviously one translation is forgive us our debts as we forgive those, forgive our debtors. Um, and, and if you want to talk about really sort of subverting everyday contemporary values in favor of the kingdom of God, talk about forgiving debts, right? Because that really chafes a lot of people, right? Um, and so I think that there are, um, 
so and in connect if you connect this to the decalogue the place where this falls in sort of the sequence of the decalogue the the part about um forgiveness of debts the part about um freeing of slaves and the part about tithing all comes in 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 the section that would be about keeping the sabbath mm-hmm. right and i love that idea um because the, the when i think of the sabbath i always think about the manna from heaven and and the the collecting enough on the sixth day for the sixth and the seventh day and the reminder that God is going to provide and that we're not the ones who are going to sort of, if you'll pardon the expression, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, and, and so the idea that tithing and forgiving debts and freeing slaves and, and giving them something to make sure that they're supported and sending them on their way is all about trusting in God and God's God's willingness to provide. Um, there's something I think really, really powerful about that, about the fact that we try so many different ways to make sure that we get ours or that we are provided for, or that we're taking care of, you know, me and mine. And, and here we are in some of the most basic explanation of God's law saying, which is reminding us yet again, Trust God because God's going to do it. I think that's so beautiful because in a way we could sit here and look at all these laws and all these, these, you know, things that feel uncomfortable in some ways, but really it's a gift God is giving us and, and God's bountifulness and God's love. And I think that's amazingly smart and wonderful in a way to sort of soften our hearts towards all that's here, you know, because if you just sit down and read this, you're like, skip, I don't want to read any of this. Right. And I think that I love that, Ian. Thank you for that. And it makes me think. I chafe when people talk about Sabbath often because it becomes about self-care and there is an element of that. Right. But the Sabbath is not about us. Mm -hmm. Right the Sabbath is a reminder that the world goes on without any of us. The Sabbath is a reminder that God is going to do all of it without any of us. It's not to make sure that I get a facial and, and do all these things. Although that's important for us to take care of ourselves, but the Sabbath is about the freeing of the slaves. The Sabbath is about the forgiving of the debts. The Sabbath is about removing the burden from everyone so that the world can rest, not so that I don't have to mow my yard. And I think seeing these instructions that are geared towards other people as part of us remembering the Sabbath is a good reminder that, yeah. that when we Sabbath, we have to release other people from burdens, not just take a day off. Yeah. Love that. So smart because we are in a, in a society where we do, it is about us a, a lot, you know, like what, what can I feel? What can I feed in that? And I think that's really beautiful. And, and, you know, it ends the debt today. What we're talking about ends um, in 26 with tithing and fresh fruits. And, you know, tithing in that point of time was around fruit. Um, it wasn't in a, in a money situation like it is now. And um, and we're all kind of gearing up for stewardship season and thinking about that in the church. This is what priests do in late August and September. They start thinking about stewardship. Um, but I, I love this in that. Tithing can be anything, right? Of course, we need money in the parishes. We need, we're not saying don't give money. Don't hear me wrong on that. 
But I think there is a way to give, even in this time, God was setting that up, that giving heart, because I've given so much. I need you to give to make this world a better place. Yeah. And it's, and, and that's the, the, that's the thing about all this, about all these, these sort of parts of the code that have to do with giving, that have to do with Sabbath, that have to do with generosity is that it's about, even then, even then the tendency was to focus on scarcity, right? Was to focus on, is there enough to go around? And we need a constant reminder that we live in a world of God's abundance, that there is more than enough always to go around if we're just willing to share it, if we're just willing to, to be more communally minded than individually minded. You know, we do questions every week and sometimes I forget and Alan will send me a text later like, what's your question? <laughs> I can't, I can't always come up with that. But I think for me this week, it is a reminder of the abundance um, that God is so good in that, you know, and, and the scarcity maybe isn't a way to live our life. You know, it, it's a much better way to live in blessings and thankfulness and that, that it will all work out. And a good reminder to us priests and treasurers and all of that who are worried about all the how this will all work. Um, Got to put a little faith in the one who created us. Yeah. Um, and so I guess that'll be my my good question for this week. How will I entrust that faith? Um, I, how about, uh, yeah, how about you, Ian? Do you have a question you'll reflect on based on Deuteronomy? Well, so it's it, it's one that I'm always reflecting on. And it's this is, I, I promise I won't uh, get us too far afield, but this is like sort of one of my favorite topics is the virtue of gratitude, Right. Um, the fundamental act of worship that we engage in every week is Eucharist, is Thanksgiving, literally Thanksgiving. So there's an argument to be made that the that, that one of, at least, one of the fundamental virtues of the Christian life is the virtue of gratitude, is the virtue of being thankful, deeply, deeply thankful for all that God continually provides. And I think it's so hard to be terrible to each other or to, or to, um, to, to do things that are contrary to God's will. It's so hard to sin if you are oriented towards gratitude. If that is, if that is one of the fundamental defining characteristics of your life is, is gratefulness for everything that occurs. It's just so hard to, to, to do the wrong thing. Um, and so, so much easier to do the right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's awesome. Let's all live like that. Alan, do you got one? I think so. Along those same lines is, you know, what Ian was talking about the Sabbath and how these laws um, are geared toward is, is my question is how can I use my freedom? How can I use in thankfulness? How can I use my Sabbath to help lessen the burden of others? Right. How can I see it as part of my Sabbath practice to loosen chains and break bonds and let captives go free? You know, yeah. the things that we're commanded to do here. How can I use my freedom for others, not for a day off? 
So I, di- I didn't actually phrase mine as a question. So, um, this is Jeopardy, let me, Ian. Yeah, let me, let me, I could fix that. Um, because the one thing I think it's really, I'm, I'm very much oriented towards virtue, right? I'm very big in favor of making habits of doing the good, doing the right thing. Um, but it is so, so easy to keep that abstract and to say, I want to be a better person, or even I want to be a grateful person. But the question is, what are the habits that I can establish that will make me more grateful? What are the specific things that I can do in my life to make sure that I am, first of all, aware of the gifts that God has given? And secondly, deeply grateful for those. Yeah, so I'm going to start off right now. I'm deeply grateful for the chance to get to know you, Ian, and your wisdom. I'm always grateful to hang out with Alan, and he knows that. Thursday mornings are my favorite time, um, and I'm I'm really grateful for the gift of both of y'all today. So thank you for being here with us, Ian. I hope you'll come back. We love to do this. I'll talk about football if we have to. Um, but I'll never not say that I went to the better school, the seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas. With all that said, listeners, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Thank you.